This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 198, and I'm interviewing Alyssa Rumsey, registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and the author of Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. We're talking about the importance of raising awareness around the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that are behind how we interact with food, why that's different from mindful eating, what to do if you overthink food choices, feel guilt, and experience judgment around food, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a link to find Unapologetic Eating, the book by Alyssa at summerinandin.com forward slash 198. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Paulina UK, who left this amazing review. I found Fearless Rebel Radio just at the right time. This is obviously an older review. I've been on a body positivity journey since the beginning of this year, and this show is a gem. Summer has such motivating and interesting episodes and fantastic guests. Love the episode with Isabel Fox and Duke. Thanks for being so awesome, Summer, and for helping many women around the world accept their bodies. I'm off on holiday next week, and for once, I am not stressing about losing weight and going on a pre-holiday diet. All the love from a fellow Canadian living in the UK. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paulina. Really appreciate that review. And so amazing to go on a vacation without thinking about that stuff, right? That's such a huge milestone. I mean, gosh, I just remember like starving, like just starving myself before vacations And then wondering why I would gain 10 pounds in two weeks when I was on vacation. Like, duh. (laughs) But, you know, I was just so enmeshed enmeshed in like the diet mentality and wanting to lose weight that I was just, I couldn't see the forest through the trees. I literally just thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me because I could not control myself around food. That was a little bit of a sidebar there, but that had me reflecting on some of my uh, pre-holiday behaviors back when I was a chronic dieter. You can leave a review for this show by heading to iTunes, search for Eat the Rules, click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. You can also help me out by subscribing. It takes two seconds. Hit that little subscribe button. Do it. Do it right now. And that helps others to find the information that you are learning here. And don't forget to grab the 10 Day Body Confidence Makeover. It's free and it has 10 steps that you can take right now to feel better in your body. That's at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies. My allergies are back today. And let me tell you, they seem to be particularly bad on the days that I have a pedicure appointment. (laughs) So 
The last time I had a pedicure, which was like a month or so ago, I had gone for a walk earlier in the day and my sinuses were just like, just pouring. Like it's disgusting. I mean, I don't even really like, it's a bit TMI, but my sinuses were just pouring and you have to wear a mask and you're having this pedicure and they've got like all these really, you know, say COVID protocols in place. And like, (laughs) all I wanted to do was like blow my nose and like sniff. And I was trying to hide it all. And I'm sure like underneath my mask, it was just like pouring down my face because I didn't want them thinking that I was actually sick. And I was like, it's just allergies. And they actually didn't even put a top coat on. Like they tried to get me out of there so fast because I think like they could hear me sniffling and stuff. And I was like, I swear I'm not sick. And I have a pedicure today and the same thing's happening. So I I don't know, maybe I'll take something for it. But it's just, I don't know. It's just funny things that happen to me. And yeah, it helps me have a different perspective. If you hear someone sniffling, it's it's not because they're, doesn't always mean they're sick. It just might mean like really bad allergies, which I've never had before until I got older. For some reason, now I have allergies. So that's my allergy story. And we're going to dive right into this episode. Alyssa's book, Unapologetic Eating, is so good. It's chock full of just so much stuff. She's going to talk about the four different portions of the book and what she talks about in each, but it's really taking you through the journey of quitting dieting and learning all about diet culture and, you know, where dieting came from and where beauty standards came from and that, how that intersects with things like racism and, and fat phobia and colonialism and all that stuff. And then takes you on this journey to healing your relationship with food and your body and really, you know, discovering more about who you are and and everything else. Like it's, it's, there's a lot in it and it's wonderfully written and very well researched. And I think that it's an awesome addition to add to your bookshelf. So definitely give it two thumbs up from over here. And I was really excited to have Alyssa on the show to talk about it further. And we got to cover a bit of stuff today. I mean, I wish there were so many more questions I wanted to ask, but I tried to really, you know, focus on the key things that she talks about in the book and really focus on some of the questions that I always get from from people like yourself listening. So let's get started with the show. Alyssa Rumsey is a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and the author of Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. Alyssa is passionate about advocating for women to reclaim the space to eat and live unapologetically. She is the founder of Alyssa Rumsey Nutrition and Wellness, a weight-inclusive nutrition practice that offers virtual counseling and online programs to help people liberate themselves from dieting, cultivate a peaceful relationship to food in their bodies, and live a more authentic, connected life. Her expertise has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, and she speaks regularly at events, online trainings, and conferences around the country. Let's get started with the show. Hello, Alyssa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here today and to talk about you and your work and your amazing book, Unapologetic Eating. So why don't we dive right in and have you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into this work? Sure. So I am a dietitian by training. And like many dietitians, I was trained in a weight-centric or weight-normative kind of approach to health. So everything was sort of linked to weight and weight loss. And I practiced that way for many years. And then about six years ago now, I had started my own business and I've been doing all these different business trainings. And I thought, okay, business is now at a good spot. Let me do some trainings to 
kind of work on my counseling skills. And I was searching for things around mindful eating and stumbled upon Evelyn Triboli's intuitive eating course that she does for, for health professionals and clinicians. And I was like, oh, intuitive eating. I think that's similar to mindful eating. I had never read the book. I've heard of it, but I didn't really know anything about it. I'd never heard of health at every size or weight inclusive care. And I signed up for this course. And day one, partially my mind was blown because I'm like, how have I been a diet? at this point, almost a decade and never heard about these things. And like, she's talking about weight science and all of this stuff. But then on the other hand, it just immediately kind of clicked for me because both with my own relationship with food and my body and dieting, but also in the clients I had been working with where they would do quote unquote well and lose the weight. And then months later, a year later, come back to me and be like, oh, I need your help again. And it just really kind of clicked of like, oh yes, this is the exact pattern I saw both in myself, but also in my clients. And then it was from there, it was a pretty immediate of like, okay, I need to. I mean, certainly there was the back and forth of like, oof, I have a successful business. It feels really scary to pivot away from weight loss when that was what I knew how to quote unquote sell. But I always say, you know, for a lot of people, once you see this way of thinking about health and bodies and well being, And just like people and humans, you can't look away. So I, yeah, intuitive eating led me to health at every size. And then really just more of the kind of social justice aspects I've been getting more involved in and and learning more about the last handful of years. And so what was that like to transition? Because I sort of went through a similar transition when I was initially a nutritionist and focused on weight loss and then had my mind blown in the same way. And it was really based on my own sort of personal struggles and journey that I ended up stumbling upon intuitive eating and everything else. So what was that like for you? I mean, did you feel confident switching or did you lose clients? Like, what was that experience like? Good question. Well, I think I felt I was lucky because at that point in my business, I had a couple of different streams of income. And so I was working on a package basis. So I did have a handful of clients that had to finish out sessions with. And that was definitely difficult because it's like, okay, you came to me saying you wanted to lose weight. And now I'm kind of talking about like things in a little bit of a different way. But I just finished up with those clients. And then I actually took a number of months off from seeing clients. And again, was very privileged to be able to do this because I was had other revenue streams. So financially, I was able to do that. And I just did a bunch of training. And yeah, it was definitely scary because this is maybe like five or so years ago now. And I think the body liberation space and intuitive eating just on its own has become, I think, a lot more well-known through social media and things like that. And five years ago, I don't know what your thoughts on this, but I feel like it still wasn't really... I certainly wasn't in that community, but it wasn't really as well-known. So I was definitely worried about... Definitely had a little bit of like financial scarcity of like, okay, are people going to want to do this if I'm not telling them we're working on weight loss or if I'm not promising them that they're going to lose weight. But some of my first... Once I did kind of redo all my website and marketing and language and my first couple of clients, one was actually a woman who I had worked with a couple of years prior, again, for like several months for weight loss. And she came back to me because weight had come back on. And I said to her, I'm like, look, I'm practicing from a different approach now. And I explained it to her a bit. And she's like, that sounds great. Let's try that. And in my first session with her this second time around, even though I'd worked with her for months, a few years prior, just with like different questions I was asking and just like probing a little bit more into some of the past kind of 
food habits and like relationship with food and childhood things around like food and body size and bodies and things like that. All this information came up that never came up the first time around. And like, this is what was really at the root of a lot of the things that she was kind of struggling with. And so that just felt like really powerful. Wow. Just again, and sort of framing it in a little bit of a different way. And then I also had another client who I still think about who, again, had just chronic dieting all her life. And we started working together and she was doing some kind of intuitive eating journaling. And I noticed that there were no fruits or vegetables. Like weeks would go by and there'd maybe be like one or two, but I didn't say anything about it because we were working on other stuff. And a couple months in, I started noticing some fruits and vegetables popping in. And in our next session, she actually brought it up. And she said, like a coworker had brought something in and she's like, you know, this looks good. I'm going to try it. And then she thought like, oh, like this tastes really good. I want to try starting to add more in and make some of my own. And she said to me, she's like, if you would have told me a couple months ago that I needed to eat more vegetables, for example... I would have felt like this was a diet. And she's like, the fact that you let me just not worry about that and work on different things and like never mentioned it allowed me to get to this place where now I want to add vegetables in and it's not from this place of restriction or deprivation. And so that was also just again, being trained as a dietitian or nutritionist and being taught to sort of like quote fix and be like, oh, you need to eat this. Like being able to see of how like that actually is not always helpful was so, so powerful. Yeah, that's great. And it's so nice that some of your clients went along with that journey with you and trusted you. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah, super rewarding. And it's so much better to have a business that aligns to your values and feels really right. And I mean, obviously, when you don't know there's another way and you're trained in a weight-centric approach, then you do feel like you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. But once you have the broader perspective and you understand fat phobia and weight stigma and, and health at every size and everything else, it feels so nice to stand in something that you really truly believe in and know is better for all individuals. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the piece of just, that's what I keep coming back to now. And when I talk to other people who kind of on this this journey are trying to think about things in a different way, it's like, okay, how can I provide the least stigmatizing and like most respectful care for people? And like, what does that look like? Yeah, amazing. And so what inspired you to write Unapologetic Eating and who is the book for? So I really wanted to write a book that, you know, because so I start practicing intuitive eating, right? A number of years ago. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to help people with their relationship with food. And pretty quickly, including the story of the woman with the vegetables, I realized that, okay, now she can eat all these different foods and not feel guilty and not go in the diet binge kind of cycle. But it was so much more than just food in terms of what shifted in her life. And so I really wanted to write this book about how food and healing one's relationship to food can be this really powerful entry point into exploring more about ourselves and our beliefs and our our values and just really connecting more with ourselves and with others. And so how it's not just about being able to eat the burger and not feel guilty. Like, yes, you can get to that point, but it's so much more like this journey is so much more than that. And I think there's many different ways, right, to do sort of like personal development work and get to know yourself better. But realizing that with the work I was doing with my clients that, yeah, it was way more than just the food piece. And so I wanted to write a book that really captured that. And I wanted to write a book that was 
more broad scope. I think all of the chapters in my book, as I was writing them, I had to stop myself going down rabbit hole because literally almost every chapter could be a whole book in and of itself. But I wanted to really do like the full kind of scope of the journey of, okay, we're starting with relationship with food and we're breaking down weight science. But then by the end, we're getting into like values work and self-discovery work and embodiment work and how to really like step into your power in ways that have nothing to do with food. Yeah. And so you break the book into those four parts, like fixing, allowing, feeling and growing. So can you speak to a little bit of each of those and like what people would kind of learn within each of those segments? Yeah. So part one is about fixing, which is more about the history of diet culture and the history of our culture and society's beauty ideals and and focus on weight and where that comes from. I also go into in that chapter the reasons why dieting doesn't work and you know more of kind of the science behind health and nutrition and weight and where these things that we're told is like oh this is fact where actually no it's not and here's why our culture has kind of construed these things to be fact and really digging into more of the systemic oppression that's behind a lot of this. Also in this part, there's a whole chapter on exploring your own history with food in your body. So really a lot of pieces about and reflection prompts and questions for people to get to think about where their food and body beliefs came from and and how they've affected their life. So really kind of digging into, okay, how has trying to quote, fix myself, like what's that done to me? And what has that disconnected me from? And then from there, part two is allowing. So allowing is where we begin to really take steps to move away from trying to fix ourselves, whether through dieting or other kind of weight control mechanisms, and start to sit with the feelings that stopping fixing brings up. So this is the part about... There's a whole chapter on cultivating awareness and mindfulness, which is one like really essential skill, I think, for this work. Not mindful eating necessarily, but really just mindfulness in general. And then there's also... This is where I introduce intuitive eating and talk about ways to really begin to honor and trust your inner wisdom and practice really starting to connect to your body cues. And then from there, it's feeling. So when you stop trying to, quote, fix yourself and begin to allow your body to just be, a lot of thoughts and feelings can bubble up. And for a lot of people, these are things that they've spent years, if not decades, like stuffing down and trying to suppress. And so the feeling section is really about like sitting with the feelings and discomfort that arise in this journey. There's a whole chapter about self-care, chapter about self-compassion, which I think is also a really, really essential skill to learn. And I also introduce body image and just starting to redefine your relationship with your body and how can you honor and respect your body without necessarily trying to quote, fix it. And then the last section is growing. So as people are kind of unlearning these different beliefs that they've had and reconnecting more to themselves, a lot of what I hear from my clients is, okay, now I have more free time and brain space now that I'm not dieting and and worrying so much about my body. Like what, who am I like underneath all these things I've been doing for so many years? And, And like, what do I do now with my time? And so the growing piece is really more like self exploration and self discovery work, as well as some embodiment work being more kind of quote in your body, and then ending on how to more fully step into your power. Amazing. It sounds to me like it would be something that you would want someone to go through kind of slowly versus like trying to power through this in a weekend. <laughs> and be 
like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I actually do suggest that in the introduction that I think, well, certainly you could sit down and read it cover to cover, although it's pretty, we were talking about this before, right? It's pretty long. It's pretty dense. So really my aim with this was it to be something that is both educational, but also really practical. So every chapter has reflection prompts and exercises to practice and things to journal on. And so, yeah, I really think it is more about slowly going through it, sitting with the stuff that it brings up, you know, practicing some of the skills and really taking time to go through it all. And it being something that you can use for like months, if not years on end to kind of go back to as you get further in your journey of like, oh, wait, yes, like now I feel more ready to kind of practice these things. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's similar to the stuff that I teach around body image. It's because it's not just about your body, it's your entire world and your self-worth and the tools that stuff that things that you can use for the rest of your life. Like that's the whole point of it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. One thing you mentioned, which I know you speak to in the book, but I'd love you to just touch on is when you talked about allowing there, you mentioned like you speak about the importance of mindfulness, but it's not the same as mindful eating. Can you just, can you just describe that for people listening? Sure. So our culture really drives us to not be aware and mindful, you know, of what's going on kind of in a day-to-day basis, both outside of us, but certainly within us as well. I think a lot of us too, often as like children or depending on kind of our family of origin or people who raised us are not really taught to express feelings or are taught to kind of like stuff things down. And we learn this in different ways. And and usually these are not things we're cognizant of. Like most people are not cognizant of like, oh, I'm like trying to suppress this thought or this feeling. And so really I think that, and this is ongoing throughout the whole kind of process and journey, but we really need to bring what's in the subconscious up to the conscious level. So really raising more awareness around the thoughts and feelings and emotions and beliefs that are behind how we interact with food and how we think about food and how we think about our bodies and how we think about other people's bodies. And really, we can't start to shift anything until we're aware of what's going on. And in fixing what that is, and I think that's what a lot of us have been doing for so long. And you know, certainly I was doing this myself, but also as a dietitian, I was trained to quote fix to be like, oh, you're not eating enough X, you should eat more of this or eat less of this or change your body in this way or whatever it is. And just like fix without actually like bringing more awareness of like, well, why am I eating that or not eating that? Or like, why do I feel this way? Or why do I think X? So the awareness and mindfulness is, I put that towards the beginning of the book because it's something that I keep coming back to and that everybody really just the more aware we are of what has happened to us that's causing us to react in a certain way or causing us to think certain things, that's really where we're then able to like shift and, and grow and change. Yeah. And so how does that differ from like mindful eating, I guess? Like, you know, because I often will have people sort of say to me like, oh, I'm going to you know, try mindful eating. And I'm always kind of like, mm, like <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a difference yeah. there. Totally. So, well, mindful eating, I mean, I kind of think of that as being aware and noticing while you're eating, like while you're eating a meal, like just being aware, ideally eating with like not many distractions and just being aware of how your body feels, how the food tastes, how it looks, just being more present and in the moment while you're eating. Now, that can certainly be a really helpful tool. 
But the problem I often see is that people, well, A, they kind of jump to that. And then B, they end up sort of using it as a way to eat less. Even if they don't really realize that this is what they're doing, again, this is why the awareness piece is so big. In the book, I walk through a story of a client of mine who she was often like wanting something sweet after having a meal, like especially in the afternoon. And you know, she's like, oh, I gotta like get a handle on these cravings. And she had done like tried to cut things out, tried to have just a little bit, like all these different things. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna try to just eat more mindfully. And as we sort of duck into this a little bit more, she realized that like she was beating herself up of like, oh, I just don't have willpower. Like, and she was just really like beating herself up for this. And then we kind of unpacked, like, oh yeah, because she was hoping that the outcome would be that she would eat less. And when mindful eating becomes a way to try to eat less, whether this is conscious or subconscious, then it's a type of restriction, right? Like it's a type of diet mentality that keeps you in this dieting cycle. So I personally think that before you really kind of try to apply mindfulness to food, you really have to work to cultivate more awareness and just mindfulness skills in general, so that you're really able to learn to sit with the thoughts and feelings and experiences that happen rather than trying to just fix them. Yeah, you said that so well. I think that's like a catch all for a lot of things, like even the way people approach intuitive eating in a way that's diety. It's like if you're approaching it with this intent to eat less, like that's where things are going to get really tricky. Yes, exactly. And I get it. And this is conversations I have often with my clients around when you're so used to dieting and like following these specific rules and trying to quote, do what you're told and follow these specific things and then trying to do intuitive eating, you know, I get a lot of people like, well, I have to, am I doing this right? And like really trying to like do it right. And it's like, okay, you know, this is again, very normal because your brain is so used to approaching food and, and thinking about food and eating this way. But really what we're trying to do, like there's not right and wrong. This isn't black and white. It's not all or nothing. Like we're trying to just find the gray area. And I think really that gray area, and this is what a lot of mindfulness is, right? Is like not focusing on the outcome. Instead, just focusing on the process of being more aware. One of my mentors, Fiona Sutherland, has said to me like multiple times, how mindfulness is this sense of being with rather than doing too. And that's something that is just, we can cultivate But it's really difficult when we're used to trying to control the outcome or or hoping the outcome will change. So it is just this like continual practice. Yeah. So you mentioned that gray area when it comes to food and eating. And so like, I think that this is such a challenge for people because they just want to like get to the gray area. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, can I just like get to this gray area? And so what is your advice to someone, I guess, who is trying to sort of like force (laughs) into being in sort of like some gray area versus like letting things unfold? I mean, I think it's human nature to want to just like force ourselves to get where we want to go and human nature, but also how we are conditioned in most Western cultures. We're conditioned to think about like capitalism, like you have to be productive and productive people are rewarded. And we're so conditioned to just sort of like push ourselves. And, you know, I have a lot of clients who are like, my type A-ness has really helped me get ahead in my career and my work life. And that is totally true in this society we live in. 
somewhere again with capitalism and just productivity being the big thing. But when it comes to this process, it's really, really difficult because we're going against all that we've been conditioned to do. And we're really just slowing down and trying to allow things to just happen and see how that feels. <laughs> so I think it's the continual just reminding yourself of the flexibility of like, this isn't all or nothing of, I use the word experiment a lot with my clients, especially like things around food. It's like, okay, let's experiment. Like, let's see what happens. It's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. And just starting to notice that type of binary or all or nothing thinking and continuing to redirect and return to, okay, not good or bad, not right or wrong. Like this is just more information for me. And like, this is just what happened in this moment. So it's a continued process. Yeah. And I think like part of that process when you talk about this is just the allowance and allowing yourself with food and allowing yourself to kind of like, you know, eat foods that previously have been forbidden in your mind. And I think a lot of people are afraid that they're never going to stop eating things that quote unquote were always kind of like bad in their mind before. And so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. And the more tricky question that I think everyone wants an answer on, and I would love to know your response to this, is just like, how long does that take? <laughs> like, how long? <laughs> I hear this all the time. So I'm asking on behalf of like <laughs> hundreds of times people have asked me this. How long am I going to kind of be in like this honeymoon phase? Like, how do I know if I'm doing this wrong? Yes, I feel all the people that think that because it can feel really scary to feel like there's no structure or feel, you know, a lot of my clients say like, okay, I feel like I'm just taking a leap and trusting you that this is going to be okay. And that's what a lot of this is, is like trusting that, okay, again, doing it in a way that is bringing awareness and is doing work on like lots of other areas too. But yeah, the honeymoon phase can be really scary of feeling like, okay, if I just let myself eat whatever I want, I'm going to eat donuts all the time, or I'm always going to want pizza. And what I always say to people is, yeah, you probably will for a while. Like if those are the things you've been restricting and haven't been allowing yourself to eat them, of course you're going to want them. But if you allow yourself, if you get rid of the physical restriction and allow yourself to eat these foods, as well as getting rid of the mental restriction. So oftentimes what happens is people are like, okay, well, I'm allowing myself to eat all these things, but why is it not stopping? Like I still always want them. And typically what's happening is that there's mental restriction. So they're allowing themselves to eat, let's say like pizza every night for dinner. But then every night after they're like, oh, like I shouldn't have eaten that much. Like, oh, like, okay, tomorrow is going to be better. Tomorrow is going to be different. And even though you're physically allowing yourself these foods, this is what we call like mental restriction. And it affects the body in the same way. Like our body is biologically wired of any kind of sign of restriction, even the mental restriction, it thinks starvation is coming. And it keeps you in this cycle of like still wanting the food. In addition, just again, going back to like the all or nothing of like, oh, like, I ate the pizza. So like today's crap, like screw it and just like eating whatever. So again, it can send people into the all or nothing. So yeah, I think it is giving yourself unconditional permission, 
while also paying attention to your body, like how does it taste? Like, I think it's always so fascinating when people realize that things that they thought that they loved actually don't taste that good. Like when they eat them and like allow themselves to eat them. I had this client years ago who her mother would gift her these beautiful, like decorated sugar cookies. And it was always this thing where she would like eat them in secret and binge on them and then feel super guilty and then be like, I have to get them out of my house and just like finish them all. And she like, she loved them. And we've been working together for a little bit and her mom gave them to her and she's like, okay, I'm going to let myself eat them and I'm going to enjoy it. And she took a couple of bites and she said, oh, these are actually not that good. Because before there, right, there's like so much like guilt and shame wrapped up in it that she wasn't even paying attention to that necessarily. She just thought like, oh, these are so good. I can't stop eating them. But that actually wasn't the reason that she couldn't stop eating them. So yeah, I think it is just leaning into this. I think this can certainly be why working with someone, either one-on-one or in a group setting can be helpful because this can be really scary for a lot of people. But yeah, that honeymoon phase, I mean, it depends on depends on a lot of factors. I think it depends on how long you've been dieting or restricting. It depends on how many foods you've been dieting or restricting with. And yeah, it also depends on like, are you really letting yourself eat these things? Or is there still some part of you like holding yourself back? Because because that can make the process longer as well. But yeah, I mean, I think some people, like if they really are in a place where they've been thinking about this for a while or doing some other work, and then they kind of start this unconditional permission process, it can be like weeks to months. Other people, it can be much longer. And there can still be times where, I mean, I always just think of like when you're traveling and you're like, you know, I'm thinking like of Paris right now. So love to go to Paris right now. And like the food in Paris. And I literally just eat for an entire week. And I'm uncomfortable a lot of the time, but I'm like, I don't care. These are the best croissants in the world. Like this is the best food I'm just going to eat because this I only have one week here. So like scarcity is a real thing as well. So it doesn't mean that you're never going to like overeat to being uncomfortable again. But it does mean that like in your normal day-to-day basis, you can get to a place where you can have pizza when you want the pizza. But once your body kind of knows that you can have it when you want it, you actually aren't going to want it every night. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you mentioned the sugar cookie story. And it's amazing like how food tastes different when you're well fed, like how things can taste like so much more palatable when you're deprived. And when you have like that forbidden mentality around it, like I similarly, like there's so many foods that I just used to be like, you got to keep me away from that. Like I'll eat the whole thing that now I'm just like, I don't even like that. Like, (laughs) because (laughs) yeah, like it's, it's amazing how it just becomes so much less interesting when you're well fed. I find. Yes, exactly. And when it's just there and you know you can have it, yeah, uh, there's so many things. And honestly, there's some things that I'm really disappointed that they don't taste as good as they thought or that I like don't like as much anymore because I used to love them so much. And I think this is also part, I don't know if you experienced this. I certainly did. And I know a lot of my clients do where food just gets kind of boring. And like I was someone who I was like, oh, I'm such a foodie and blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, I still do love like really good food, but it's just not, it used to be like the highlight of like everything. And it's just not anymore, which is a little sad, but you know, on the whole, it's like, okay, I'm not having these like big swings anymore. It's just more of like a, okay, like it's food. Yeah. I often have people ask me that, like, they'll say, I'm just like not interested in food at all anymore. I find it really boring. Like there's nothing that I really want to eat. Like, is that normal? And I'm like, yes, 
<laughs> that is totally normal. It probably means you're like well fed and have really done a lot of work towards healing your relationship with food. Exactly. So how can people go from really doubting themselves, you know, doubting their hunger, their experiences, their decisions, to really learning to trust their intuition? Because I think that something that is just so prominent is the judgment, the questioning, the overthinking, the guilt. And so how can people move through that process more easily? Well, I think first acknowledging that it's a process and there's ebbs and flows and it's not something that to master or get perfect overnight. Like it's something, it's an exploration. And I think kind of the two sort of foundational pieces are that I think personally are building these awareness and mindfulness skills. Because again, like the more awareness we have and awareness in a non-judgmental way, like just the more curiosity we have, the more we can sort of like set our judgment aside and be like, okay, like why might I be feeling this? Or like, why might this have happened? Or what's the thought that's behind this? Or where did I learn this? The more we give ourselves some space to kind of explore and connect with our body more. I think the other kind of foundational thing. And, you know, this is something that it's not just one and done. This is something that to come back to, but really doing some deeper kind of reflection upon the harms that dieting and diet culture and these different things, like the harm that it's caused you both personally, I think, as well as collectively. And I think it can be easy to be like, oh, well, I was just like felt so much better when I was thinner. But really doing some deeper dives around kind of what it's done to you, like physically, mentally, what it's disconnected you from. I think a lot of people, it disconnects them certainly from their own bodies, but also even from other people because they're just like so in their head with worrying about things that they're not able to really be fully present. I think that's one of the really pleasant side effects that most people realize is like, oh, wait, I'm a much better partner now because and a friend because I can just be so much more present and in the moment. And as well as collectively. So the first chapter in my book really goes into the roots of diet culture. And I know for a lot of people that I work with, kind of knowing that this is so much bigger than just them and knowing that there's been specific kind of systems put into place to condition us to feel badly about our bodies and to condition us to like spend all this time worrying about food in our bodies. Like it makes them angry. And like this anger is really helpful. So I think kind of starting with those pieces of the awareness and the reflection, and then just start to bring yourself more into your body. So noticing when you're eating in a way that is based on some external thing, like a should or a shouldn't or a supposed to, and instead like turn it back to your body. What sounds good to me right now? What do I want to have for dinner? What am I hungry for? What food would taste really good? Or what would feel good to eat right now? What kind of taste am I in the mood for? And just asking yourself these questions. And it's very, very normal. At first, you might have no idea. You might be like, I have no clue what sounds good to me right now. And that's totally normal. But it's the continual and consistent, just like the checking in with yourself and then experimenting. So then picking something to eat, check in again. Like, okay, did that satisfy you? How did that taste? How do you feel now? And again, trying to cultivate more of that curiosity and less of the judgment just as you continue to do that. And over time, and again, this is not something that happens in a week or two weeks or five weeks. Like It's a longer process, but this is how you start building back body trust. 
Yeah. I feel like I tend to work with a lot of people who overthink things too. So that, and that's where things can become challenging because they're trying to be aware, but to a degree that it starts to actually have diminishing returns. I don't know if you have experience with that or advice for people who experience it that yeah. way. Oh my gosh, totally. I was just having a conversation with a client therapist about this yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and this is why I think that the intuitive eating framework can be helpful in a lot of instances because it's not this like set of 10 rules. It's different things that can kind of help us depending on where we're at. So for example, I sometimes have people who are like really overthinking. They're like, am I hungry right now? Or like, how full do I feel? And if that's happening and it's becoming, I just, I don't know, I can't figure it out. And like you said, like overanalyzing, then it's like, okay, let's step away from this. Like, let's not worry about that. Let's yes, make sure you're eating consistently. But how about we work on noticing self-critical thoughts and just like working on a different piece And I also, for clients of mine who this is something they struggle with, sometimes the stuff that they're working on is not doing all of the reading in a chapter or not doing actually like not finishing things if they are really someone who struggles with like perfection and I have to to do it in the all or nothing, like literally their homework will be, okay, you're going to do this workbook exercises, but you're not going to do all of them. (laughs) It can be really uncomfortable. But yeah, I think also just helping people sit with the... Because a lot of times the analyzing, I think, can be covering up for like something that's more like deeply rooted, like some shame or some things that feel more vulnerable. And so kind of trying to get underneath that and figure out what's the overanalyzing like helping you cope? Because it can be a coping tool, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, that's super, super helpful. Yes, I've had that with a client before where I've said like, okay, let's just set a timer. You can work on this for this long and then you put it down and that's it. Because in the same respect, right? It's like you can, yeah, just stay in that space. Like there's just no end to it, right? Because it's like you can just keep going down the rabbit hole. Like you said, your book could have been like... So many more pages. And if you're wired that way, and I often like, I love that you pointed out that it is, it can be a coping mechanism. I think that's super important too. And so just being curious with that and, and maybe exploring like what that really sort of protects you from or what that gives you and can be helpful too. But that's awesome. Well, we are coming to the end here. I feel like there's so much more I could ask you, but I just want to say that I really, I love your book. I think it's like really like you put, as I said to you offline, I was like, you put a lot of work into this book. Like it really covers everything. And so I think it's a fantastic book. And so if you're struggling to heal your relationship with food and you're looking for some really specific guidance and and looking at it from like a very broader social justice perspective as well. I think that this is an awesome book to have on your on your bookshelf. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. So as we wrap things up here, just tell everyone where they can find more of you. So my website is alyssarumsey.com. I'm also over on Instagram at alyssarumseyrd. And then my book, Unapologetic Eating, is available basically wherever books are sold. So it's on Amazon. It's on IndieBound. It's on Book Depository if you're outside of the US or Canada. And it's in a lot of local bookshops as well. Nice. Amazing. Well, congratulations. I mean, you should be so proud of what you put out into this world. And it was an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great to chat with you. Rock on.
There were so many good nuggets of wisdom in that one. I hope you enjoyed it too. And definitely check out Alyssa's book, Unapologetic Eating. Pass it along to your friends and family. It's amazing. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for being a listener. I will see you soon. I will talk to you soon. Maybe I'll see you. Okay, rock on. I'm Summer Inanen, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanen. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.